question comes up probably quite often as Christians, and that is, why is it, or maybe I should say it this way, have you ever asked the question why it is that it seems we go through the difficulties and tragedies of life? And... Of course you do. Your blood runs red, just like mine. Uh, such as not only close to home here, what what we've experienced with losing our brother in the Lord, Cody. But wow, what about that recent massacre in Sri Lanka? Oh my goodness! Even this. This morning, reading about uh, the synagogue outside of San Diego, where there was a shooting, or the murder of five in Tennessee. Oh my, I mean, it seems like every day there is something to remind us of how dark uh, the world is and the darkness that oftentimes people are experiencing. But the question, why in the world does God allow such evil, is a legitimate question. And such trauma and despair and pain, it's a huge question. Closer to home for us, it might be struggles in relationships, failed marriage, rebellious kids, financial failure, job loss, sickness disease, untimely accidents, and deaths of loved ones. The truth is the whys are are rarely clear and may never be this side of heaven. And to presume otherwise really can sometimes border on insensitivity and downright arrogance. I find it's okay more and more, especially before those who are hurting, when they ask me why, uh, to honestly admit, I just don't know why. But for the follower of Jesus in the midst of a tragedy or hardship, uh, the promise in Romans 8.28 does help tremendously. Now, I understand it depends on where you are in the midst of your tragedy and, and how much grief and hurt uh, you find yourself in. And sometimes it's very difficult to even accept this. You don't want to hear about it. I understand. But from our finite vantage point, there is much, in spite of the fact that there is much that is so confusing, so senseless, this promise is a huge reminder for those who hearts, whose hearts are open of what is absolutely true, of what is certain, of what kind of hope there is in the darkness. This promise is a reminder of what we can count on, that only an infinite God can do how he can bring about an amazing measure of good 
to the lives of his sons and daughters through their tragedy and pain. This is a big subject. I'm going to try to narrow it down to just a few things that we can know for certain. Years ago, maybe you've heard this story, there was this fishing fleet that went out from a small harbor on the coast of Newfoundland. And in the afternoon, it is said that a huge storm came up. And when night settled, not a single vessel of the fleet had found its way into port. All night long, as you can imagine, families, wives, and children, mothers, uh, paced up and down the beach in fear, calling on God to save their loved ones. Now, to add to the horror of the situation, it is said that one of the homes caught fire. And since the men were all away, it was impossible to save that home. When morning broke, it is said uh, that the entire fleet, to the joy of all, the entire fleet had found safe harbor in the bay. But, of course, there, as you can imagine, one face that was a picture of despair. It was the wife of the man whose home was destroyed. And, of course, she met her husband, and she was in tears. And she says, we've lost everything. We're ruined. Our home and all it contained was destroyed by fire. But the husband grabbed his wife and hugged her and said, Thank God for the fire, for it was the light of our burning home that guided us into port. Of course, there's a reason why the husband could give thanks, isn't there? Before the wife could, he could see what she could not he could see how it was that God had used the horrible fire to actually save their lives. Now, for us, it's going to require a bit more, right? Being fully persuaded that there is one, our God, who can see what we cannot, and that he wants and will use our troubles, even troubles we bring on ourselves, believe it or not, to help us and save us. Now, this is hard. I, I have not mastered this. It's what the Bible calls faith. Uh, a faith described in the scriptures in Hebrews as the conviction of things not seen. Now, the, faith, the psalmist seemed to have this kind of faith. He declares... You, Lord, have dealt well with your servant. It, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Now, <clears throat> either the psalmist was a lunatic or he had learned something that you and I often struggle to grab hold of. That is affliction and tragedy, as horrible and difficult and senseless as it seems, it is often used by God for our good. And that's the hope in the darkness, and I want to give some flesh to that goodness. What sort of good? Well, first, very quickly, let me suggest a couple of things. We know, according to the scripture, we know that affliction and struggle can make us strong, strong in character, the kind of strength where we fight to never give up. James, the brother of the Lord, taught this, saying, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Truth is, an untroubled, carefree life is usually a shallow and a feeble one. Little worthwhile in life comes apart from struggle, oftentimes great struggle. And those who, by the grace of God, face their catastrophe and setbacks often see their greatest victories arising out of the ashes. Struggle by God's grace can make us strong, but it also can make us sympathetic, or we might say empathetic. The great apostle understood this truth. He wrote to the Christians at Corinth, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our trouble, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves received from God. We instinctively know this, don't we? It's true that the people you and I seek out, oftentimes when we, those we turn to in a time of trouble are those who have suffered in a similar way, like us. Somebody once said, in love's service, only wounded soldiers will do. Unless we have suffered, we often find it very difficult to be empathetic towards others and to help them in an understanding, meaningful way. Our struggles are well, as well are meant to make us spiritual. That is spiritually healthy. The psalmist said as much in the same text. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, now I keep your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Adversity does have a way, amazingly, of keeping us aware of God and our desperate need for Him. Without struggle, I don't know about you, with, but it's true for me, we're not likely to face our plight and turn to the Lord Jesus to save us and keep us and lead us. Somebody wisely said, stormy weather is what man needs from time to time to remind him he's not really in charge of anything. Now, <clears throat> We are a church family, a community, certainly a nation where tragedy and heartache will continue to visit us. Short of Jesus coming back and setting all things right, we all wish it would just go away, but it won't. Why? Well, I wish I knew. If you got the answer, I'd like to hear it. <laughs> but I doubt that you know as well, why as well. Only God knows, and it's not always his way to reveal the big picture. He simply asks us, as we have sung, and we actually said we would, he asks us to trust him. Trust him. And such trust, wouldn't you agree, should come easier as we remember what our God has revealed in his word. There are things that we can know 
according to Romans 8.28, we can know that all things work together for good. Some of that good is the strength and the sympathy and the spiritual health that evidently God means to only come at times in our lives by, by being hurt. A couple of weeks ago, I had a doctor's appointment. And when the doctor was about to take a chunk off of my ear and a, and a chunk off of above my eyebrow, uh, he reassuringly said, this is going to hurt, but it's going to help. And I said, course, I'm shaking like a leaf in a sour. I, I hope so. Anyway, on a serious note, I mean, how often is our great physician, we might say, speaking to us a similar message, assuring us he's got it all, he's got it all taken care of if we would but listen. Richer life, the more abundant, fulfilled life that he has promises He's promised us is really his only purpose. Why would we be so foolish to refuse it? So today, this morning, my encouragement to you is to take that crucial step of faith and to let the Lord have his way, all of us, to let him have his way with us, especially in the midst of our struggle, no matter how it comes no matter how confused we might be over the whys. And I do know that it's easier said than done. But the good does not stop there. The things that we can be confident about, according to Romans 28, be sure of, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, doesn't stop there for the believer. There is at least one more I want to mention. And this is a probably the harder of the four to receive. I want to suggest that not only does God want to use our hardship and tragedy and pain and heartache to make us strong, sympathetic, and spiritual, but as well to make us a spectacle. A spectacle. And yep, you heard me right. God wants you to be a spectacle. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. You see, while the leaders at, at uh, the church of Corinth, evidently they were looking for this soft and comfortable life, you might say, living the American dream. Paul, he, he asserts in verse 9 and, and the surrounding context that he and the other apostles were finding their lives increasingly exposed to pain and struggle. Even the threat of death. I mean, so much for living the Christian abundant life. Now, I'm fascinated by this statement in this verse. God has exhibited us. We have become a spectacle. This literally means, I mean, really, when, you really, when you really grab hold of it, it means that God purposely, this just didn't happen by accident. It wasn't a coincidence. It was providential. God purposely 
a part of the good that he had in mind for Paul, and I'm going to suggest he has in mind for us, is he put Paul by design in public view, on public display, for others to watch. The word spectacle here literally refers to a theater. That's the, the picture that Paul has in mind is, of course, the Greek and Roman amphitheater of the first century in which gladiators, they were entertaining the crowds at the end of all the various daily entertainments to put on a show that would not be forgotten, a show of fighting till the death. Paul seems to see himself as if he were in such an arena contending with foes and destined to death. Around him and above him, that is the world, angels and men, they're gazing upon this struggle. Paul's word, words here really often point or pointing to a, an often forgotten truth that by God's sovereign design... Again, this is what fits in this Romans 8.28 passage, this promise. By God's design, much of the Christian life is meant to be played out, or might we say fought for in public view. Why? Why would God do that? How can that be good? Well, so the public... The spectators of our lives, those who you and I day in and day out cross paths with, our, our friends, our family, our neighbors, so they will be a witness to what? The grace of God. The victorious, life-changing power of Christ. We are meant to be spectators. A spectacle. You see, not only does God desire to use our troubles and trials for our good, but as well for the good of those who know us but don't know Him. We see this clearly illustrated in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Listen to the words of Paul. I know you know this section, this is powerful. Paul says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now, the Apostle Paul is demonstrating in a very personal way that even in the most horrendous circumstances, even death itself, God's plan, God's mission, again, the good that God desires is what Paul refers to the greater progress of the gospel. What does that mean? That is, God's way is often to allow you and me those of us who have tasted his love so immeasurably, is, it is his way to allow us to suffer and struggle 
as a means of reaching our family and friends and neighbors with the redeeming message of the Son. Now, by the authority of the word, I'm going to say to you that without question, this is God's plan for reaching Humboldt County, for Jesus, reaching our neighborhoods. The only question is, will you, will I, will Will we embrace our difficulties as such God-ordained opportunities? Will we surrender each trial, each tragedy to God for His use in reaching our world? That's a big question. This is a hard question. Very difficult. The truth is, we should not expect. The bottom line is this. We should not expect those within our sphere of impact to trust in Jesus unless we are willing to become just such a spectacle for him. Now, Grant, I understand This is a huge pill to swallow. And if you haven't walked with the Lord for very long, even if you've walked with the Lord for a long time, it's a still, it's a horse pill. (laughs) Uh, It's a big one. Most of it's because of the expectations that we have for our lives and the dreams and the plans. Um... So, this is, this is granted, I understand, for some of us who are especially in the thick of it, how you don't want to hear this. Let's think about the Christians at Philippi. They knew, they knew that their beloved apostle, their father in the faith, who had first brought the news of Jesus to their city, and we actually just studied this in Acts 16, they, that, that he had been arrested in Jerusalem for, for just talking about Jesus and, and was in a Roman prison. We'll see that in Acts 21 and following. And very likely, they knew, very likely, he was going to get put to death. They knew what happened when you ended up in a Roman prison. And this broke their hearts. They loved this guy. And man, they were afraid for him. They desperately wanted to see him released. That's what they were praying for. But the apostle wanted them to know. He says, now I want you to know, in verse 12, the real truth regarding his circumstances. He wanted them to understand the good The good that God in his grace had brought about. The beauty of this passage is how amazingly Christ-centered it is. Rather than, dare we say, self-centered. 
You know, for me, when I talk about my trials and difficulties, I'll just ask my wife, Kim. It somehow turns into this whining and complaining session. I'm sure that never happens with you guys. Kind of singing the woe is me blues, becoming a, an opportunity to turn the spotlight my way, squeeze a little bit of sympathy for myself. What's fascinating about this passage is Paul doesn't do this. He didn't do any of this. He wants none of this. Instead, he can only see and simply wants his Christian friends to see how his trial, his very public imprisonment, had been used by God for good in the lives of others. Notice in verse 13 that he was a spectacle before this guard, this this whole Praetorian guard. And these were simply the soldiers responsible to guard the apostle. Uh, he says, he says that in my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Verse thirteen. I understand, you know, in my in my studies, and maybe you've you've looked into this. This Praetorian Guard was about nine thousand strong, and it is said that the soldiers or the prisoners that were under the watch of of these guards were usually chained to a particular guard. That was the way they did that, 24-7. Now talk about a captive audience. How'd you like to be that guard, chained to the Apostle Paul? (laughs) Of course, Paul saw this as a ready-made opportunity, and and evidently it didn't take long for the whole 9,000. That's what Paul is suggesting here, the whole 9,000 knew who this guy was, that this this prisoner was no ordinary captive, but he was a Christian. He was a follower of Jesus. The poor guys, again, assigned to watch Paul, they didn't have a chance. Paul understood these guards, and this is part of what, that I forget, moment by moment, Paul understood that these guards might never hear about Jesus otherwise. I don't know about you, do you think that way? So what did he do? He seized the moment. He stood in the gap. He decided that that he had been appointed for just such a time and nothing else mattered. really not hard to imagine that these guards were very used to hearing here angry, resentful, bitter, arrogant words, even pitiful, fearing, despairing cries from their prisoners. Oh my goodness, of course. But here was one that was gracious and kind. I'm reading between the lines. Drawing little attention to his own plight, but instead in love and bold persuasion, turning the focus on them, their plight, their spiritual plight. They must have been drawn to how peaceful, how full of joy, probably completely amazed at how free in heart, free in heart and spirit he was in spite of being in chains, about ready to see his death. You can almost see Paul stretching his shackled arms out. Just, just picture it. Toward his guards and many others who crossed his paths, as the text seems to suggest, 
inviting them to trust Christ to free them from the shackles of their sin. Oh my goodness, talk about the irony. What a willing, an example of a willing spectacle. Again, Paul was simply embracing his difficulty as a God-ordained opportunity. Now, I've often wondered how many opportunities I've lost through the years to share the gospel with friends and neighbors. When I go through visibly difficult times, simply because I spend so much time whining and complaining and blaming and criticizing and rebelling or desperately looking for an escape hatch. I just want this to go away. I want it to end. All because life has handed me the raw end of a deal. And to be quite honest, it's not usually my nature to consider others. That through my struggle that God just might have in mind for me to bless. I don't think that way normally. Someone that maybe needs Jesus. But of late, and I hope this is true for you, and I hope this becomes increasingly true for you, but of late he's been showing me that my contact with some is not coincidental or accidental, but providential. And he's asking me to stand in the gap, to seize the moment. And increasingly, I'm finding myself whispering a prayer for them, at the very least, and a prayer for myself. Lord, help me to yield myself in that moment to be a vessel of God's grace and love, however that looks. Now, it's my opinion that the most effective way to share the gospel with someone is when you are invited to. And this usually happens because we've earned the right to. And without question, the best way to earn the right to is to have had a chance to authentically live out your faith before them. If I've seen this once, I've seen it a hundred times. Again, being willing to be that spectacle with humility and grace and love, particularly when we are in the thick of a trial. Even the trial of a lifetime. When we are at our weakest and totally dependent on God to make it through. Where our friends are close enough to watch how we are fighting to stay afloat. Fighting to be sustained by God's grace. Fighting to trust in his power. To be directed by him and his word. Even watching as we're being, we allow ourselves to be encouraged by God's people. Never underestimate how God wants to use your suffering to open the heart of one needing Jesus. Never underestimate that. 
It would surprise us all who God can touch through our pain. When the enduring of our pain is happening through heaven's lenses and live by heaven's plan. But it comes down to a choice, doesn't it? A decision that we make moment by moment of what to do with our difficulties and tragedies. Now notice as well that God exhibited Paul as a spectacle not only before the 9,000 strong, the Praetorian Guard, but as well before his brothers and sisters in Christ. This is pretty cool. We read in verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Bottom line is other believers had drawn courage from Paul's example because Paul was actively laying aside his fear, so did others. And, and evidently, they began to talk about Jesus in a, in a greater way. He, he, in a sense, became their hero, their example. His amazing courage to speak of Jesus in the midst of his suffering inspired others to do, to courageously do the same. And, and we ought not to forget, there's no doubt that they had, they had the risk of imprisonment hanging over their heads as well. Good chance if they would have done what Paul did, they would have experienced similar outcomes. Wouldn't you agree that every church needs such examples? They're not super saints. Actually, if you read the scriptures, this is kind of what's supposed to be the normal thing that happens amongst us as the family of God who, like the apostle, are simply in the trenches of real life and were leading by example, courageously yielding our struggle to the Lord. Man, we need each other for this. It's going to be hit and miss, granted. But man, we need some good examples of how each of us, in the midst of our struggle and tragedy, are fighting to allow God to use us and to bring about good in us and through us. Now, the stated purpose of the town church is actually pretty cool when you think about it. I'm going to read it to you. I actually had to look it up (laughs) on on the, the website this morning. I actually found a word that, you know, that I had no idea what it meant. On the website, so about communion, in, in, instinct, in, intinction. How many of you know what the word intinction is? None of you do. I didn't know what it is, so I looked it up. Anyway, he'll fill you on what that word means. Go on the website. I bet you never read that. <laughs> I did. But on the website is town church purpose, and I did understand it. It says that town church is a people. That's you and I gather together. That's what we're doing now and during the gospel communities. Gather together and sent by God to proclaim and live out the good news of Jesus in Eureka, Humboldt County, and beyond for the glory of God. Now, that excites me, and I hope it does you as well, because 
because we sincerely are praying that our God will reach Humboldt County and that he'll use us to do it. Now, how is that going to happen? And maybe you've heard me talk about this before. I mean, it's a legitimate question. What method do we use in order to reach our community for Jesus? All right? A lot of different methods out there. We could, maybe if we had enough money, maybe we could hire Franklin Graham. Or what about Luis Palau? To do an evangelistic crusade. We probably could only do it once in our lifetime. But maybe if we could get it done once a year. How would that be? Or maybe we should finance a radio or TV outreach program. Or completely blitz and canvas our community with Christian literature. Through mail or knocking on doors. I don't vote for that one. I, I, I could never do that. Or maybe we could drop all this Christian literature. This would be the easy way out. A little costly. But we could buy a gospel blimp. And then say during the jazz festival or reggae by the river or blues by the way. Maybe we could just kind of zoom over and drop all this. That would make the news. That would be a spectacle. Or take shifts at blasting the gospel 24 hours a day down at the county courthouse. Again, that, that probably would make the news as well. In all seriousness, what should our strategy be? What is it that will convince our community that the people that we are crossing paths with day in and day out, that they need Jesus? Well, it could be argued that some of the strategies I've mentioned might have their place. But in the end... The only effective long-term strategy is us. Us. You see, we are the very best argument for Jesus. It's hope, his hope, his power, his promise, as displayed particularly, and this is, what I'm stressing this morning, through our tragedies and heartaches. I don't know if you ever have come to this conclusion, but it's really not that convincing, at least within my sphere of influence. It's really not that convincing uh, to my neighbors and my friends and especially my family to just talk about Jesus when everything is hunky-dory. When life, you might say, is as smooth as Humboldt Bay on a calm one. But when I can show them, or at least live out, the hope, the joy, the certainty, and completeness in Christ when the sleeper waves of life threaten to sweep me away, then, then, there's a chance. Their ears will be peaked. They will listen. Maybe listen with wonder and awe. Even hopeful desire. Why? Because they're witnessing the very grace of God. His power. 
We need those who are championing this sort of outreach strategy, who are quietly and encouraging leading this us by example. So we can learn to do the same. We should be praying for such. We should be praying that we would be such. For our children's sake, let me ask you this. How are your children learning to handle the for sure tragedies of life that will come? Moms, dads, what kind of an example are you to them? What about your neighbors, your friends at work? I think I've shared this story. Barbara Johnson in her book, she's a funny gal. And this kind of dates me a little bit because I don't even know if she's still alive. But um, some of us might remember her. She wrote this book, I'm So Glad... You told me what I didn't want to know. This is the name of a book, believe it or not. She shares a letter she received from a lady that was really concerned. This lady said this, Dear Barbara, Lately I have, re- I have had several fears that I might be going off my rocker. How can I know if this is happening to me? Signed, Fearful, In Fayetteville, Barbara responds, Dear Fearful, we know that one out of every four people in this country is mentally unbalanced. So, you just think about your three closest friends. If they seem to be okay, then you're the one. (laughs) Well, you may think that you're going off your rocker. In all seriousness, that is, you may be going through another or maybe one of the most difficult times of your life. And you think you're going to go nuts. You don't think you're going to make it. My prayer is that this message will encourage you to know that there's good, that your God longs and desires and has purpose to work in and through you. Won't you trust him with it? Not only to get you through it, but to use you for good. Let's decide together today to trust him to make us in the midst of our difficulties strong in character. Yes, Sympathetic towards others. Oh, yes. Spiritually healthy and mature. Yes. And even more to make us that powerful spectacle of God's grace. Before all who God is providentially day in and day out. Allowing to cross our paths. Let's trust him together. Let's trust him that that's the good that he wants to do and can do in us and through us. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just pray that you will help us to trust you. 
pray that in the moments that are we still have here that that we will reflect that we will consider what it is we're going through and that we're not trusting you with things that that we're very concerned about things that that strike fear in our hearts things that we're just not sure how how going to work out. I pray that we would lift those up to you. We would trust you. We would believe. We'd be fully persuaded of the promise in Romans 8.28 that you will bring about good. And I pray that we'd keep in mind what some of that good is as we have talked this morning. I pray that we would lift this up to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.